chapter two of washington and his comrades in arms by george wrong this librivox recording is in the public domain boston and quebec washington was not a professional soldier though he had seen the realities of war and had moved in military society perhaps it was an advantage that he had not received the rigid training of a regular for he faced conditions which required an elastic mind the force besieging boston consisted at first chiefly of new england militia with companies of minute-men so called because of their supposed readiness to fight at a minute's notice washington had been told that he should find twenty thousand men under his command he found in fact a nominal army of seventeen thousand with probably not more than fourteen thousand effective and the number tended to decline as the men went away to their homes after the first vivid interest gave way to the humdrum of military life the extensive camp before boston as washington now saw it expressed the very character of his strange command cambridge the seat of harvard college was still only a village with a few large houses and park-like grounds set among fields of grain now trodden down by the soldiers here was placed in haphazard style the motley housing of a military camp the occupants had followed their own taste in building one could see structures covered with turf looking like lumps of mother earth tents made of sailcloth huts of bare boards huts of brick and stone some having doors and windows of wattled basket-work there were not enough huts to house the army nor camp-kettles for cooking blankets were so few that many of the men were without covering at night in the warm summer weather this did not much matter but bleak autumn and harsh winter would bring bitter privation the sick in particular suffered severely for the hospitals were badly equipped a deep conviction inspired many of the volunteers they regarded as brutal tyranny the tax on tea considered in england as a mild expedient for raising needed revenue for defence in the colonies the men of suffolk county massachusetts meeting in september seventeen seventy four had declared in high-flown terms that the proposed tax came from a parricide who held a dagger at their bosoms and that those who resisted him would earn praises to eternity from nearly every colony came similar utterances and flaming resentment at injustice filled the volunteer army many a soldier would not touch a cup of tea because tea had been the ruin of his country some wore pinned to their hats or coats the words liberty or death and talked of resisting tyranny until time shall be no more it was a dark day for the motherland when so many of her sons believed that she was the enemy of liberty the iron of this conviction entered into the soul of the american nation at gettysburg nearly a century later abraham lincoln in a noble utterance which touched the heart of humanity could appeal to the days of the revolution when our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty the colonists believed that they were fighting for something of import to all mankind and the nation which they created believes it still an age of war furnishes however 
occasion for the exercise of baser impulses the new englander was a traitor by instinct an army had come suddenly together and there was golden promise of contracts for supplies at fat profits the leader from virginia untutored in such things was astounded at the greedy scramble before the year seventeen seventy five ended washington wrote to his friend lee that he prayed god he might never again have to witness such lack of public spirit such jobbing and self-seeking such fertility in all the low arts as now he found at cambridge he declared that if he could have foreseen all this nothing would have induced him to take the command later the young lafayette who had left behind him in france wealth and luxury in order to fight a hard fight in america was shocked at the slackness and indifference among the supposed patriots for whose cause he was making sacrifices so heavy in the backward parts of the colonies the population was densely ignorant and had little grasp of the deeper meaning of the patriot cause the army was as washington himself said a mixed multitude there was every variety of dress old uniforms treasured from the days of the last french wars had been dug out a military coat or a cocked hat was the only semblance of uniform possessed by some of the officers rank was often indicated by ribbons of different colors tied on the arm lads from the farms had come in their usual dress a good many of these were hunters from the frontier wearing the buckskin of the deer they had slain sometimes there was clothing of grimmer material later in the war an american officer recorded that his men had skinned two dead indians from their hips down for bootlegs one pair for the major the other for myself the volunteers varied greatly in age there were bearded veterans of sixty and a sprinkling of lads of sixteen an observer laughed at the boys and the great-great-grandfathers who marched side by side in the army before boston occasionally a black face was seen in the ranks one of washington's tasks was to reduce the disparity of years and especially to secure men who could shoot in the first enthusiasm of seventeen seventy five so many men volunteered in virginia that a selection was made on the basis of accuracy in shooting the men fired at a range of one hundred and fifty yards at an outline of a man's nose in chalk on a board each man had a single shot and the first men shot the nose entirely away undoubtedly there was the finest material among the men lounging about their quarters at cambridge in fashion so unmilitary in physique they were larger than the british soldier a result due to abundant food and free life in the open air from childhood most of the men supplied their own uniform and rifles and much barter went on in the hours after drill the men made and sold shoes clothes and even arms they were accustomed to farm life and good at digging and throwing up entrenchments the colonial mode of waging war was however not that of europe to the regular soldier of the time even earth entrenchments seemed a sign of cowardice the brave man would come out on the open to face his foe earl percy who rescued the harassed british on the day of lexington had the poorest possible opinion of those on what he called the rebel side to him they were intriguing rascals hypocrites cowards with sinister designs to ruin the empire but he was forced to admit that they fought well and faced death willingly in time washington gathered about him a fine body of officers brave steady and efficient on the great issue they like himself had unchanging conviction and they and he saved the revolution 
but a good many of his difficulties were due to bad officers he had himself the reverence of gentility the belief in an ordered grading of society characteristic of his class in that age in virginia the relation of master and servant was well understood and the tone of authority was readily accepted in new england conceptions of equality were more advanced the extent to which the people would brook the despotism of military command was uncertain from the first some of the volunteers had elected their officers the result was that intriguing demagogues were sometimes chosen the massachusetts troops wrote a connecticut captain not free perhaps from local jealousy were commanded by a most despicable set of officers at bunker hill officers of this type shirked the fight and their men left without leaders joined in the panicky retreat of that day other officers sent away soldiers to work on their farms while at the same time they drew for them public pay at a later time washington wrote to a friend wise counsel about the choice of officers take none but gentlemen let no local attachment influence you do not suffer your good nature to say yes when you ought to say no remember that it is a public not a private cause what he desired was the gentleman's chivalry of refinement sense of honor dignity of character and freedom from mere self-seeking the prime qualities of a good officer as he often said were authority and decision it is probably true of democracies that they prefer and will follow the man who will take with them a strong tone little men however cannot see this and think to gain support by shifty changes of opinion to please the multitude what authority and decision could be expected from an officer of the peasant type elected by his own men how could he dominate men whose short term of service was expiring and who had to be coaxed to renew it some elected officers had to promise to pool their pay with that of their men in one company an officer fulfilled the double position of captain and barber in time however the authority of military rank came to be respected throughout the whole army an amusing contrast with earlier conditions is found in seventeen seventy nine when a captain was tried by a brigade court-martial and dismissed from the service for intimate association with the wagon-maker of the brigade the first thing to do at cambridge was to get rid of the inefficient and the corrupt washington had never any belief in a militia army from his earliest days as a soldier he had favored conscription even in free virginia he had then found quite ineffective the whooping hollowing gentlemen soldiers of the volunteer force of the colony among whom every individual has his own crude notion of things and must undertake to direct if his advice is neglected he thinks himself slighted abused and injured and to redress his wrongs will depart for his home washington found at cambridge too many officers then as later in the american army there were swarms of colonels the officers from massachusetts conscious that they had seen the first fighting in the great cause expected special consideration from a stranger serving on their own soil soon they had a rude awakening washington broke a massachusetts colonel and two captains because they had proved cowards at bunker hill two more captains for fraud in drawing pay and provisions for men who did not exist 
and still another for absence from his post when he was needed he put in jail a colonel a major and three or four other officers new lords new laws wrote in his diary mr emerson the chaplain the generals washington and lee are upon the lines every day great distinction is made between officers and soldiers the term of all the volunteers in washington's army expired by the end of seventeen seventy five so that he had to create a new army during the siege of boston he spoke scornfully of an enemy so little enterprising as to remain supine during the process but probably the british were wise to avoid a venture inland and to remain in touch with their fleet washington made them uneasy when he drove away the cattle from the neighborhood soon beef was selling in boston for as much as eighteen pence a pound food might reach boston in ships but supplies even by sea were insecure for the americans soon had privateers manned by seamen familiar with new england waters and happy in expected gains from prize money the british were anxious about the elementary problem of food they might have made washington more uncomfortable by forays and alarms only reluctantly however did howe who took over the command on october tenth seventeen seventy five admit to himself that this was a real war he still hoped for settlement without further bloodshed washington was glad to learn that the british were laying in supplies of coal for the winter it meant that they intended to stay in boston where more than in any other place he could make trouble for them washington had more on his mind than the creation of an army and the siege of boston he had also to decide the strategy of the war on the long american sea front boston alone remained in british hands new york philadelphia charleston and other ports farther south were all for the time on the side of the revolution boston was not a good naval base for the british since it commanded no great waterway leading inland the sprawling colonies from the rock-bound coast of new england to the swamps and forests of georgia were strong in their incoherent vastness there were a thousand miles of sea-coast only rarely were considerable settlements to be found more than a hundred miles distant from salt water an army marching to the interior would have increasing difficulties from transport and supplies wherever water routes could be used the naval power of the british gave them an advantage one such route was the hudson less a river than a navigable arm of the sea leading to the heart of the colony of new york its upper waters almost touching lake george and lake champlain which in turn led to the st lawrence in canada and thence to the sea canada was held by the british and it was clear that if they should take the city of new york they might command the whole line from the mouth of the hudson to the st lawrence and so cut off new england from the other colonies and overcome a divided enemy to foil this policy washington planned to hold new york and to capture canada with canada in line the union of the colonies would be indeed continental and if the british were driven from boston they would have no secure foothold in north america the danger from canada had always been a source of anxiety to the english colonies the french had made canada a base for attempts to drive the english from north america during many decades war had raged along the canadian frontier with the cession of canada to britain in seventeen sixty three 
this danger had vanished the old habit endured however of fear of canada when in seventeen seventy four the british parliament passed the bill for the government of canada known as the quebec act there was violent clamour the measure was assumed to be a calculated threat against colonial liberty the quebec act continued in canada the french civil law and the ancient privileges of the roman catholic church it guaranteed order in the wild western region north of the ohio taken recently from france by placing it under the authority long exercised there of the governor of quebec only a vivid imagination would conceive that to allow to the french in canada their old loved customs and laws involved designs against the freedom under english law in the other colonies or that to let the canadians retain in respect to religion what they had always possessed meant a sinister plot against the protestantism of the english colonies yet alexander hamilton perhaps the greatest mind in the american revolution had frantic suspicions french laws in canada involved he said the extension of french despotism in the english colonies the privileges continued to the roman catholic church in canada would be followed in due course by the inquisition the burning of heretics at the stake in boston and new york and the bringing from europe of roman catholic settlers who would prove tools for the destruction of religious liberty military rule at quebec meant sooner or later despotism everywhere in america we may smile now at the youthful hamilton's picture of dark designs and deceitful wiles on the part of that fierce protestant george the third to establish roman catholic despotism but the colonies regarded the danger as serious the quick remedy would be simply to take canada as washington now planned to this end something had been done before washington assumed the command the british fort ticonderoga on the neck of land separating lake champlain from lake george commanded the route from new york to canada the fight at lexington in april had been quickly followed by aggressive action against this british stronghold no news of lexington had reached the fort when early in may colonel ethan allen with benedict arnold serving as a volunteer in his force of eighty-three men arrived in friendly guise the fort was held by only forty-eight british with the menace from france at last ended they felt secure discipline was slack where there was nothing to do the incompetent commander testified that he lent allen twenty men for some rough work on the lake by evening allen had them all drunk and then it was easy without firing a shot to capture the fort with a rush the door to canada was open great stores of ammunition and a hundred and twenty guns which in due course were used against the british at boston fell into american hands about canada washington was ill-informed he thought of the canadians as if they were virginians or new yorkers they had been recently conquered by britain their new king was a tyrant they would desire liberty and would welcome an american army so reasoned washington but without knowledge the canadians were a conquered people but they had found the british king no tyrant and they had experienced the paradox of being freer under the conqueror than they had been under their own sovereign the last days of french rule in canada were disgraced by corruption and tyranny almost unbelievable the canadian peasant had been cruelly robbed and he had conceived for his french rulers a dislike which appears still in his attitude towards the motherland of france for his new british master he had assuredly no love but he was no longer dragged off to war and his property was not plundered he was free too to speak his mind 
during the first twenty years after the british conquest of canada the canadian french matured indeed an assertive liberty not even dreamed of during the previous century and a half of french rule the british tyranny which washington pictured in canada was thus not very real he underestimated too the antagonism between the roman catholics of canada and the protestants of the english colonies the congress at philadelphia in denouncing the quebec act had accused the catholic church of bigotry persecution murder and rebellion this was no very tactful appeal for sympathy to the sons of that france which was still the eldest daughter of the church and it was hardly helped by a maladroit turn suggesting that low-minded infirmities should not permit such differences to block union in the sacred cause of liberty washington believed that two battalions of canadians might be recruited to fight the british and that the french acadians of nova scotia a people so remote that most of them hardly knew what the war was about were tingling with sympathy for the american cause in truth the canadian was not prepared to fight on either side what the priest and the landowner could do to make him fight for britain was done but for all that sir guy carleton the governor of canada found recruiting impossible washington believed that the war would be won by the side which held canada he saw that from canada would be determined the attitude of the savages dwelling in the wild spaces of the interior he saw too that quebec as a military base in british hands would be a source of grave danger the easy capture of fort ticonderoga led him to underrate difficulties if ticonderoga why not quebec nova scotia might be occupied later the acadians helping thus it happened that soon after taking over the command washington was busy with a plan for the conquest of canada two forces were to advance into that country one by way of lake champlain under general schuyler and the other through the forests of maine under benedict arnold schuyler was obliged through illness to give up his command and it was an odd fortune of war that put general richard montgomery at the head of the expedition going by way of lake champlain montgomery had served with wolfe at the taking of louisbourg and had been an officer in the proud british army which had received the surrender of canada in seventeen sixty not without searching of heart had montgomery turned against his former sovereign he was living in america when war broke out he had married into an american family of position and he had come to the view that vital liberty was challenged by the king now he did his work well in spite of very bad material in his army his new englanders were he said every man a general and not one of them a soldier they feigned sickness though as far as he had learned there was not a man dead of any distemper no better were the men from new york the sweepings of the streets with morals infamous of the of officers too montgomery had a poor opinion like washington he declared that it was necessary to get gentlemen men of education and integrity as officers or disaster would follow nevertheless st john's a british post on the richelieu about thirty miles across country from montreal fell to montgomery on the third of november after a siege of six weeks and british regulars under major preston a brave and competent officer yielded to a crude volunteer army with whole regiments lacking uniforms montreal could make no defence on the twelfth of november montgomery entered montreal and was in control of the st lawrence almost to the cliffs of quebec canada seemed indeed an easy conquest the adventurous benedict arnold went on an expedition more hazardous he had persuaded washington of the impossible that he could advance through the wilderness from the sea-coast of maine 
and take quebec by surprise news travels even by forest pathways arnold made a wonderful effort chill autumn was upon him when on the twenty fifth of september with about a thousand picked men he began to advance up the kennebec river and over the height of land to the upper waters of the chaudiere which discharges into the st lawrence opposite quebec there were heavy rains sometimes the men had to wade breast high in dragging heavy and leaking boats over the difficult places a good many men died of starvation others deserted and turned back the indomitable arnold pressed on however and on the ninth of november a few days before montgomery occupied montreal he stood with some six hundred worn and shivering men on the strand of the st lawrence opposite quebec he had not surprised the city and it looked grim and inaccessible as he surveyed it across the great river in the autumn gales it was not easy to carry over his little army in small boats but this he accomplished and then waited for montgomery to join him by the third of december montgomery was with arnold before quebec they had hardly more than a thousand effective troops together with a few hundred canadians upon whom no reliance could be placed carleton commanding at quebec sat tight and would hold no communication with despised rebels they all pretend to be gentlemen said an astonished british officer in quebec when he heard that among the american officers now captured by the british there were a former blacksmith a butcher a shoemaker and an innkeeper montgomery was stung to violent threats by carleton's contempt but never could he draw from carleton a reply at last montgomery tried in the dark of early morning of new year's day seventeen seventy six to carry quebec by storm he was to lead an attack on the lower town from the west side while arnold was to enter from the opposite side when they met in the centre they were to storm the citadel on the heights above they counted on the help of the french inhabitants from whom carleton said bitterly enough that he had nothing to fear in prosperity and nothing to hope for in adversity arnold pressed his part of the attack with vigour and penetrated to the streets of the lower town where he fell wounded captain daniel morgan who took over the command was made prisoner montgomery's fate was more tragic in spite of protests from his officers he led in person the attack from the west side of the fortress the advance was along a narrow road under the towering cliffs of a great precipice the attack was expected by the british and the guard at the barrier was ordered to hold its fire until the enemy was near suddenly there was a roar of cannon and the assailants not swept down fled in panic with the morning light the dead head of montgomery was found protruding from the snow he was mourned by washington and with reason he had talents and character which might have made him one of the chief leaders of the revolutionary army elsewhere too was he mourned his father an irish landowner had been a member of the british parliament and he himself was a whig known to fox and burke when news of his death reached england eulogies upon him came from the whig branches in parliament which could not have been stronger had he died fighting for the king while the outlook in canada grew steadily darker the american cause prospered before boston there howe was not at ease if it was really to be war which he still doubted it would be well to seek some of the base washington helped howe to take action dorchester heights commanded boston as critically from the south as did bunker hill from the north by the end of february washington had british cannon brought with heavy labor from ticonderoga and then he lost no time on the morning of march five seventeen seventy six howe awoke to find that under cover of a heavy bombardment american troops had occupied dorchester heights and that if he would dislodge them he must make another attack similar to that at bunker hill 
the alternative of stiff fighting was the evacuation of boston howe though dilatory was a good fighting soldier his defects as a general in america sprang in part from his belief that the war was unjust and that delay might bring counsels making for peace and save bloodshed his first decision was to attack but a furious gale thwarted his purpose and he then prepared for the inevitable step washington divined howe's purpose and there was a tacit agreement that the retiring army should not be molested howe destroyed munitions of war which he could not take away but he left intact the powerful defences of boston defences reared at the cost of britain many of the better class of the inhabitants british in their sympathies were now face to face with bitter sorrow and sacrifice passions were so aroused that a hard fate awaited them should they remain in boston and they decided to leave with the british army travel by land was blocked they could go only by sea when the time came to depart laden carriages trucks and wheelbarrows crowded to the quays through the narrow streets and a sad procession of exiles went out from their homes a profane critic said that they moved as if the very devil was after them no doubt many of them would have been arrogant and merciless to rebels had theirs been the triumph but the day was above all a day of sorrow edward winslow a strong leader among them tells of his tears at leaving our once happy town of boston the ships a forest of masts set sail and crowded with soldiers and refugees headed straight out to sea for halifax abigail wife of john adams a clever woman watched the departure of the fleet with gladness in her heart she thought that never before had been seen in america so many ships bearing so many people washington's army marched joyously into boston joyous it might well be since for the moment powerful britain was not secure in a single foot of territory in the former colonies if quebec should fall the continent would be almost conquered quebec did not fall all through the winter the americans held on before the place they shivered from cold they suffered from the dread disease of smallpox they had difficulty in getting food the canadians were insistent on having good money for what they offered and since good money was not always in the treasury the invading army sometimes used violence then the canadians became more reserved and chilling than ever in hope of mending matters congress sent a commission to montreal in the spring of seventeen seventy six its chairman was benjamin franklin and with him were two leading roman catholics charles carroll of carrollton a great landowner of maryland and his brother john a priest afterwards archbishop of baltimore it was not easy to represent as the liberator of the catholic canadians the congress which had denounced in scathing terms the concessions in the quebec act to the catholic church franklin was a master of conciliation but before he achieved anything a dramatic event happened on the sixth of may british ships arrived at quebec the inhabitants rushed to the ramparts cries of joy passed from street to street and they reached the little american army now under general thomas encamped on the plains of abraham panic seized the small force which had held on so long on the ships were ten thousand fresh british troops the one thing for the americans to do was to get away and they fled leaving behind guns supplies even clothing and private papers five days later franklin at montreal was dismayed by the distressing news of disaster congress sent six regiments to reinforce the army which had fled from quebec it was a desperate venture washington's orders were that the americans should fight the new british army as near quebec as possible the decisive struggle took place on the eighth of june an american force under the command of general thompson attacked three rivers a town on the st lawrence halfway between quebec and montreal 
they were repulsed and the general was taken prisoner the wonder is indeed that the army was not annihilated then followed a disastrous retreat short of supplies ravaged by smallpox and in bad weather the invaders tried to make their way back to lake champlain they evacuated montreal it is hard enough in the day of success to hold together an untrained army in the day of defeat such a force is apt to become a mere rabble some of the american regiments preserved discipline others fell into complete disorder as weak and discouraged they retired to lake champlain many soldiers perished of disease i did not look into a hut or a tent says an observer in which i did not find a dead or dying man those who had huts were fortunate the fate of some was to die without medical care and without cover by the end of june what was left of the force had reached crown point on lake champlain benedict arnold who had been wounded at quebec was now at crown point competent critics of the war have held that what arnold now did save the revolution in another scene before the summer ended the british had taken new york and made themselves masters of the lower hudson had they reached in the same season the upper hudson by way of lake champlain they would have struck blows doubly staggering this arnold saw and his object was to delay if he could not defeat the british advance there was no road through the dense forest by the shores of lake champlain and lake george to the upper hudson the british must go down the lake in boats this general carleton had foreseen and he had urged that with the fleet sent to quebec should be sent from england in sections boats which could be quickly carried past the rapids of the richelieu river and launched on lake champlain they had not come and the only thing for carleton to do was to build a flotilla which could carry an army up the lake and attack crown point the thing was done but skilled workmen were few and not until the fifth of october were the little ships afloat on lake champlain arnold too spent the summer in building boats to meet the attack and it was a strange turn in warfare which now made him commander in a naval fight there was a brisk struggle on lake champlain carleton had a score or so of vessels arnold not so many but he delayed carleton when he was beaten on the water he burned the ships not captured and took to the land when he could no longer hold crown point he burned that place and retreated to ticonderoga by this time it was late autumn the british were far from their base and the americans were retreating into a friendly country there is little doubt that carleton could have taken fort ticonderoga it fell quite easily less than a year later some of his officers urged him to press on and do it but the leaves had already fallen the bleak winter was near and carleton pictured to himself an army buried deeply in an enemy country and separated from its base by many scores of miles of lake and forest he withdrew to canada and left lake champlain to the americans End of chapter two